Welcome to the MBG Podcast. Let's fire everybody. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 48, the Message Board Geniuses podcast. This is Who's. I've got Casey, Joy, BG. Week eight of the college football season's in the books. Thought we'd kick things off again this week by going around and having each of us pick our favorite game from week eight. So, Casey, would you enjoy watching last weekend? As much as I probably should say the Clemson-Miami game because I can actually separate my team's losses from the fact that it was a real, relatively exciting game, I thought that game was really hard to watch, especially as I was completely sober and getting over a cold. So as with everything, I over-talk, and so I'm going to go with Florida State and Duke. Who's you're going to hate this, but I'm a closet Duke football fan this season. I really like Mike Elko and love Riley Leonard who doesn't wow you necessarily with his stats, but is the true definition of a gamer. And what a game between those two teams this weekend in what could be a precursor to the ACC championship game if Louisville will stop using these smoke and mirrors to win games. Uh, Florida State and Duke was a really good game up until Leonard uh, re-injured his high ankle sprain, was forced to the sidelines, and what was a shootout up to a point, I don't know if you guys saw it, but then once he went out, FSU quarterback Jordan Travis took over from that point on, and Duke just couldn't keep up with the firepower of the Knowles, and thus FSU continues on their undefeated season. That game was so much more watchable than Clemson. Just like you predicted, Casey. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> if they lose, I predicted that. If they win, I predicted that. So, yeah, I, honestly, I, can't remember, I can't remember what you predicted now. So, right. Perfect. That's exactly how I want it. it nor nor can he. Is working. That's a true statement, Joy. <laughs> All right, Joy, how about you? My favorite game of the weekend was Texas-Houston. I always think Ooh. that Texas is bound to have a meltdown at least once, and I really thought that this was going to be the game. They were so close to losing, and I think Houston's play calling really cost them that game. They had a fourth down play call that was just atrocious, and they just could not get it on fourth and one. It just goes to show that I think any team's beatable, and especially in this era of college football, you're one major injury away from your whole season falling apart, falling apart, and that very well could happen with Texas now that Quinn Ewers could potentially be out for a few weeks. But that game was just so entertaining watching a team that I'm sure Houston thought they were going to, or Texas thought they were going to go in there and be handedly just rally and and battle against them really well so i enjoyed watching that one all right mbg what did you enjoy watching last weekend well i don't i don't remember joy saying she was going to pick houston texas that was that was the one i was going to pick but also i was watching at almost the same time oklahoma and ucf which was also a back and forth game a close game that i didn't expect to be close and i don't know if y'all watched it but UCF, they had a two-point conversion to tie it there at the end, and Gus Malzahn did exactly what you would expect Gus Malzahn to do on a two-point play to tie the game. He calls a like a fullback, or not a fullback, but a halfback pass. They give it to the the halfback on like a fly sweep and try to get him to throw a pass to tie the game. Stupid, but UCF really could have won that game. 
um, should have won that game. But the whole time I was watching, I was thinking, what would Oklahoma Oklahoma fans be saying if USC barely beat UCF at home? Uh, uh, but then U- USC uh, choked it at night anyway, so it doesn't mm. really matter. But uh, the whole time I was watching the game, that's what I was thinking. But it was an exciting game, Oklahoma-UCF. I'm really rooting for UCF just for the Oklahoma meltdown. Not that I have anything against Oklahoma at the school, but I love watching their fans meltdown. I love the wide receiver blowing a kiss to the sideline when he when he caught a long pass too. Like I really wanted them to win after that. Oh yeah. All right. So I wonder wonder what whose is. Yeah. I don't know. You have any idea what game I'm gonna pick? Yeah. (laughs) South's oldest rivalry, UVA UNC. It was. I've been a UVA fan for. I've said many times, probably forty years. The most improbable win I can remember as a UVA fan. This season, we've had difficulty running the ball. We've had a ton of special teams problems. Our defense has been prone to giving up big plays at critical times. So, of course, on the road against the number 10 team in the country, we ran the ball 54 times for 228 yards and three touchdowns. Special teams played a clean game for what seemed like the first time all year. And our defense, I thought Drake May looked bad. I don't know if it was our defense or if he just had an off game, but we lost a turnover battle. We turned the ball over in the end zone twice and still won. That That is the kind of game we historically lose 10 times out of 10. Like my buddies and I were all, we were texting. I think there were 250 texts during the game and we were all preparing ourselves for the inevitable loss at the end. So we didn't know how to act when we ended up winning the game. I don't know and, what to do with my hands. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that's the, the gif I posted in like four different chats, I think. But my, the favorite stat that I saw from that game, I'm sure you all saw this, that Tony Elliott now has more road wins against top 10 teams than James Franklin does which I just think is hilarious. That's so perfect. Yeah. We didn't even mention that one. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't really much of a game, though, in terms of excitement. I I tried watching. It was just really slow. It was some bad quarterbacking in that game. I don't know if it was good defense or bad quarterbacking or a little bit of both, but that was a tough watch. Ohio State's defense is really good. They don't get enough credit for that because everyone mm. thinks that they're this good offensive team. But their defense this season has been fantastic in terms of points allowed. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I don't know where they rank, but um, they haven't given up many points at all. Uh, they've been great. But, I, I couldn't figure out what Penn State's plan was on offense. They just seem to whose point? Those quarterbacks were both terrible at times. Yeah. Uh, uh, Drew Aller is not good, and I was on this show with Marler saying that they were going to win the P- Big Ten. <laughs> and he's not good at all. Yeah. At some point, like we, I just feel like we've got a, the Penn state situation just got to come back into reality. Like they're never going year. to be able to beat Ohio state and Michigan, Ohio state, Michigan are in a, a league of their own and Penn state's at the top of the rest of the big 10, but they're not at the top of their conference and we got to stop pretending like they are. I'm so sick of it every year. So there's a big gap between Ohio State, Michigan, and then number three in the Big Ten. Everyone yeah. else, 100%. And UNC is kind of the Penn State of the ACC. I mean, it, it, it's not always Florida State and Clemson, but it's usually UNC is around the third best team. And I think they did this last year. I think they started off and were ranked pretty high and then lost like four out of five or something to end the year. So went to um, the ACC championship game and lost by 40. So, yeah. 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 All right, so next up, we've got our mailbag question to us from friend of the podcast, Twitter user at forward slash Ben, who asks, if you could pair up any two coaches in college football together for a one-on-one podcast, which two would you choose? All right, Casey, who are you going with? 
That's a terrible question, forward slash Ben. However, I feel like this one may be in my wheelhouse. If I could set up two coaches for a 1v1 podcast, how can I not go with friend of the podcast, Mark Mangino, and fellow plus-size head coaching legend, Ralph Friedgen? I'm not even sure what I would want them to talk about, honestly, but I would just like to be in a room so that I can just marvel at them in all their beauty and listen to them wax poetic about the best buffets on road trips or something equally as wonderful. They should talk about personal hygiene or something on there. Yeah, that would be cool. I'd listen. I wish I had something more profound than that. MBG obviously just helped me on that, but I expect my fellow co-host to do so in my place here. So yeah, Mangino to make sure that we hit our weekly mention quota. Right. That's our, that's our demo too, is the Mangino and Ralph Friedgen lovers. So I like that. All right, Joy, who are you going with? Speaking of weekly mention quota, I don't think I would be me if I didn't include Jimbo Fisher in my answer, but I would have to go Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, especially after their whole conversation last year by conversation. I mean, petty back and forth in press conferences and talking to each other without actually having a conversation with each other when they wanted to call each other out about paying recruits and NIL and all that kind of stuff. And it was so petty and so fun to watch them call like emergency press conferences in order to address this. And I just wish we had the opportunity to see that one-on-one in a podcast forum. So I have to go. I I just have to go with those two. It would, I would pay a large sum of money to have that happen. I think Saban would make him cry. By the end of the podcast, that's my prediction. If if that would happen, like I would pay to watch that live, like in person, <laughs> I would do it. All right, MBG. Well, my initial inclination was to say Lincoln Riley and Brent Venables would be an interesting uh, conversation between those two fellas, but I don't know how entertaining that would be after a week or so. So I thought maybe the best duo would be I try to find two opposites, polar opposites. It'd be like Lane Kiffin and Dabo and just watch Lane Kiffin try to needle Dabo the whole time. <laughs> That'd be fun. I think that would be a, every uh, every week. <laughs> I, I have to think Dabo would just get mad and leave many times. Yeah. <laughs> or just like start praying. Casey's- Apparently they're very friendly. <laughs> Are they? Yeah. Well, let's say, let's I get mean, it's up. so weird, though. You wouldn't think it. I mean, I, I, I'm more agreement with you, MBG, than, but yeah, there's been many occasions that they've like shared text messages from each other. It's an odd couple. Very odd. I, uh, I, had, I had two answers here. My first one's only funny if you're on Twitter, and I was going to go with PJ Fleck versus PJ Fleck. <laughs> <laughs> the second one was, I think, Lou Holtz and Ryan Day, just because I found that blow up between them hilarious and i just imagine lou going on an endless rant about how soft ohio state is until ryan day just finally snaps and tries to strangle him so that's that's the that's basically i just want the threat of physical violence to be lingering in the air ryan day beating up like an 80 year old man (laughs) this question is in your in your wheelhouse and your answer is perfect for the social awkwardness of that would it would bring yeah exactly Two people who don't like each other. I want them to sit in a room and have to talk. That's exactly right. <laughs> Get as socially awkward as possible. About puppies. <laughs> right. All right. That brings us to our next segment, Genius of the Week. As always, each of us is going to nominate a player, coach, team, conference, mascot. Somebody who did something dumb in the last week. We'll put it to a Twitter vote and see who wins. For our last vote, my nominee, Shador Sanders, won in a uh, it's the closest contest we've had in a while got 38% of the vote. 
Casey's nominee, the NCAA, came in second with 30%. Joy's nominee, Antonio Brown, got 20%. And MBG's nominee, Stephanie Boyd, took home a uh, surprisingly respectable 7%. MBG. <laughs> so there's this new, there's this thing that's happening now that I love where there's a, a little group of people on Twitter who really want MBG to win. And so as soon as the poll goes up, whoever he's nominated gets as like, you know, the first like 10 votes. And then, you know, everyone's <laughs> it's all downhill from there. And it's all downhill from there. I but get the early community. I get the early voters, like the old uh, 65 plus crowd. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> All right, so now I'm in the lead with 14 wins, followed by Joy with nine, Casey with eight, Courtney with one, which will be funny to me every single episode that we mention it, and MBG with zero. Uh, MBG, you're now 0-32. I have a good reference for you this week. You've now matched the Digu Tongyang Onions of the Korean Basketball League, who lost yeah. 32 straight games in 1988 and 1999. So my my Korean isn't how to say digu, so I'm pretty sure I got that one right at least. So once again, you're in fine company, MBG. Yeah, I remember when the onions finally snapped that streak. It was a good day. <laughs> you were, were you I streaming cried. back in the day? <laughs> There's the dad joke. We didn't have to wait for MBG. <laughs> All right, Casey, who are you going with this week? This week, I'm going back to my old faithful and going with friend of the podcast, South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer. This may be a week old or so, but he followed up his antics from a week ago with another doozy this week. So for those of you that live outside of South Carolina, which is most of the listeners and may not have heard, after a demoralizing loss to Florida where South Carolina blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead. Who does that, by the way? Who blows 10-point <laughs> Worth quarter leads. Oh, wait, the other school in South Carolina did this weekend, too. But I digress. Shane <laughs> went into his postgame presser and lit into just about every person, player associated with his team outside of himself, hot dog vendors, everybody. That's not even the good part. The next day, he came in with a cast on his foot and had to answer questions about that, where he apparently kicked, quote, something hard, unquote, later to find out it was a Gatorade cooler. Like, couldn't it be something a little bit more exciting? Anyway. And uh, this after this week, after another beatdown by an SEC also ran Mizzou, Shane went in on the press conference room, laughably saying, hopefully with all the developments they're doing around here, they could find a better press conference room. Coming off as extremely smug and a huge douche. And one last thing. I saw a fan comment about the two and four start from the Wieners by tweeting, quote, the highlight of Shane Beamer's head coaching career is voluntarily being covered in mayonnaise on national TV. <laughs> For that and many other things, Shane Beamer is my genius of the week. Man, all you need to know is I'm in a UVA Virginia Tech chat and the Virginia Tech fans in there are talking about how they dodged a bullet by not. I mean, <laughs> a year ago, they were like, why in the hell? But if we make him, they're all like, oh, thank God we didn't get Beamer. So I think his star has faded a little bit this season. Big time. All right, Joy, who you got? I just feel like I have to go Lincoln Riley this week. You know, everyone, it's kind of just a known thing, especially within the Oklahoma fan base and maybe the college football world in general, that Lincoln Riley was really sick of getting the college football playoff and getting his brains beat out when he was at Oklahoma. And so he ran off to USC because he thought somehow, someway that would be easier. He just didn't think about the fact that he was going to have to beat Utah in the process. 
and Utah somehow, some way has his number and Caleb Williams number and USC's number. And it's a really beautiful thing to just watch them fall apart. Not only them, but uh, not only them playing Utah, but them losing to Notre Dame last week. And I just have to commend Lincoln Riley on his idiosity that he thought that moving um, to Southern California and being the head coach at USC was somehow going to give him like the golden ticket to the college football playoff. And now he might have a quarterback that sits out the rest of the season because he can't win a playoff game or the Heisman. So for that, Lincoln Riley is my genius of the week. Yeah. Do y'all think he's going to sit that. out? That would be wild to no. me. No, no, there's no way. Not I mean, they can still win the right? well. Yeah, no, no way. I don't see it. I just don't think it's going to help his draft stock that much if he does. The but, Rose I mean, Bowl I guess pre- Rose Bowl is too much, too prestigious for them. They still have a chance at that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, MBG. Is this the week? I, I mean, I don't see how it won't be. You guys wait for this. <laughs> it's funny every week. <laughs> every week. All right, we're gonna stay in. We're gonna stay in the United States, kind of. We're gonna go down to Florida. I don't know. We got that. <laughs> Perfect. And I got a little message here from the Polk County Sheriff's Office um, in Florida. This is on their Facebook page. They tell a story about a young man named Johnny Yates, and it says this: One of the worst things about being a cop is you always have to be open to the possibility that people are going to lie to you, no matter how sweet and innocent they seem. On Saturday, October 14th, at around 2.45 p.m., Polk County Sheriff's Office deputies went to a residence uh, on West 10th Street in Lakeland after receiving a tip that a wanted person was at the residence. The wanted person was 41-year-old Johnny Yates, and he was wanted for aggravated battery, false imprisonment, and tampering in a second-degree felony. When the deputies arrived, they noticed a note written on a dry erase board in front of a window that said... Johnny Yates does not live here. <laughs> oh Lord! Do you guys think Johnny? Do you guys think Johnny Yates lived there? Let's see if you're smarter than Johnny Yates. I think Johnny he did. Is that possible? So, <laughs> so the officers say, "Gee, a dry erase board never lied to us before. Should we believe it?" <laughs> A person was then seen leaving the house, so the deputies asked that person about Johnny, and they were told that he was inside the house with a few others. Uh, The deputies surrounded the house and began calling out via loudspeaker. This went on for about an hour with nobody inside responding. Enough was enough, and the surrender smoke was dispensed inside the house. Four more people exited, but no Johnny. Deputies called out some more, but still no response from Johnny. So a second helping of surrender smoke was put inside the home to waft around a bit, yet still no response from Johnny. Finally, deputies Mm -hmm. and a a canine entered the house and located Johnny, who was hiding in a modified chest of drawers. Johnny was arrested. (laughs) (laughs) How little is Johnny? I don't the, know. The dry erase board clearly said he didn't live there. Yeah. I mean, it says, and there's a picture of the dry erase board that says Johnny Yates does not, not as in capital letters and underlined, live here. <laughs> two exclamation points. And the I I can't believe the cops saw through that scheme, to be honest with you. So yeah. the officers really are geniuses, but Johnny Yates is my genius of the week. 
I mean, once again, following Honestly, MBG. Honestly, I'd is, vote for that one. Yeah, that, that's it's a be hard to task to follow you. So <laughs> I'll make it short and sweet. I'm going with Michigan State. Uh, as you may have heard, Michigan State posted a giant picture of Adolf Hitler on their Jumbotron <laughs> as part of a, a trivia quiz prior to, the, to their game against Michigan on Saturday. After the game, Michigan State issued an apology, blamed the issue on a third-party vendor. They later walked that back, saying that the school was responsible for the content on the Jumbotron. This continues a remarkable run for Michigan State in the last few weeks. They've uh, fired their head coach for sexual improprieties, been forced to issue a statement about Hitler being on their Jumbotron, and then got stomped out by their rival, 49-0. So that's uh, things are going great in East Lansing. So for making the worst decision in the history of Jumbotrons and video quizzes, uh, Michigan State is my genius of the week. I mean, really, there's just one question you ask yourself. Do we have to put a picture of Hitler on the screen? If the answer is yes, then you don't do it. I mean, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. simple. I mean, Yeah. I don't know I mean, if you all saw the images that went around after that, but somebody circulated one with a picture of Bin Laden on the Jumbotron <laughs> at Michigan State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that's going to be an ongoing uh, meme. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter never misses. So. Someone on Twitter said, "Never think positively, Clemson fans. At least we're not Michigan State." And that, <laughs> surprisingly, that made me feel a lot better. <laughs> Things it should. I mean, genuinely. Worse. All right. Before we move on to our next segment, we want to give a quick shout out to CFB Home for sponsoring the MBG podcast. You can find them on Twitter at CFB Home and online at FifthQuarter.net. Also, we're doing a couple of cross promotions with other with other podcasts this week. The first is with the Sickos Committee podcast. Their week eight preview dropped last week with some classic Sickos content, including the history of the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy, Cougar Trails, and the Commission's disdain for Altson Stadium. We're also doing a cross promotion with the Slander U podcast. On their most recent show, they discussed Washington versus Oregon, USC Notre Dame, Jimbo, and much more. We love both those shows, so check them out. All right, folks, we have another great guest lined up for you this week. This week's guest was a starter on the 2012 Notre Dame team that made it to the BCS championship game. Since his playing career ended, he's taken the sports media industry by storm, hosting and making guest appearances on numerous national radio shows and podcasts. Currently, he's an analyst for Learfield's College Football Saturday Night Broadcast and host of the wildly popular Go Joe and Golick podcast. Mike Golick Jr., welcome to the show, man. Welcome, Mike. Friends, appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Uh, uh, I I always appreciate the further and further away I get from my playing career, how much things can be embellished. Although, <laughs> I was at Florida State calling a game this past weekend, and I saw them bring out the women's softball team who finished as national, run, national runner-ups, lost to Oklahoma um, in the College World Series there. And I thought, okay, they're celebrating the runner-up there, so I feel like celebrating <laughs> us as national runners-up to Alabama with a score that need not be mentioned, especially after this last year. Boy, do I feel absolved. I owe the people in Fort Worth a beer after that performance in the title game because it makes me feel a lot better about what went down in 2012. <laughs> I mean, listen, some of us are still celebrating being one match away from going to States in tennis in 1987. So <laughs> you're are, celebrating a BTS championship game appearance. There are, there are very few things as fun as reliving the glory days. 
every time I am with my high school buddies, it gets talked about our junior year. We were, we, it was the best high school team I played on. We think we would have won state that year and we got jobbed because number one, Connecticut high school football has the most foobar point system for determining the playoff participants ever. And <laughs> in actuality, because a school that we beat ended up using a player that was academically ineligible. And so we lost the points for that and missed the playoffs despite being uh-huh. having lost like one game. It comes up every time I'm with my high school friends. So it is perfectly fine to live in the past on that stuff because we all do it. <laughs> all right, Mike. So when we have guests on the show, we usually just go around and start off by having us each ask you a question and we just let you cook. Does that work? Let's do it. All right. Casey, you want to kick it off? Yeah. So first and foremost, Mike, I'm a long, I'm the long winded one here on the show. Huge fan of yours. As I said, I loved John Levitard all last week. And from the time around 2016, when you joined forces with your pops on Mike and Mike and then Golick and Wingo and then Cheney and Golick, even your show with the weekend observations with my absolute favorite person on the planet, Stu Gotts, but enough about my addition, enough of my addition of the Chris Farley show here. Uh, no one is here to listen to me talk while you're here with us. So Amen. January, January 7, 2019, Santa Clara, California, you were on a panel for ESPN Radio's coverage of the national championship between Clemson and Alabama. I was driving home on a dreary, cold North Jersey evening listening to my favorite analysts tell me that Clemson was going to get their doors blown off and shouldn't even show up. Now, to your credit, it was more about how good Bama was and not so much how Clemson wasn't, but still... With all that being said, my question to you, sir, one of my absolute favorite analysts and radio podcast personalities out there is, what's up with the possum under your sink? Man, let me tell you, <laughs> my sink right now, that was a great zag at the end of all of that. I'm getting ready to defend a take that I had no my recollection stick. of. My I, do, I do remember, wasn't it a pick six to start that game for Clemson? Oh, yeah. That was H-H-R-O. a big uh-oh for me right away, um, but... No, as far as the possum, so what I did, because I'm a competent, mature adult, is after I invited, invited, called desperately, begging for help, the animal control folks in Manhattan Beach, California, and animal control, who was lovely, who was an incredible source of information, I learned more about possums than any other day in my life, public schools probably need a little bit of help. Um, but she did not manage to wrangle the possum. So it escaped back into my wall underneath that bathroom sink. And so because of that, what I've done is I took a coat hanger because I didn't have anything else. I wanted to get like those childproof locks that parents buy for their kids and put it on there, but I didn't have that. So I took a metal coat hanger and I just super wrapped it around the knobs of that door and have locked it shut and have not thought about touching it since then. And now every night, I close my bathroom door, and every morning, I open it a little pop just to see. Like, I know possums are not forceful creatures. They're not like their brethren, um, the raccoon, that are a little bit more up and at them. They'll barge into some stuff. But every morning, I kind of peek in there like, is today going to be the day where those wee beady eyes are staring back at me again because it finally broke through the barricade? So we have not had contact with the possum since, but I did have that first moment the other night where – a pillow on my bed rolled just right when I took turn the lights off, and I thought it was the possum that made its way out through another hole. And when I tell you, I knocked a picture off the wall, I chucked my whole comforter off my bed and turned on every light in a panic, the first of many times, I'm sure. Uh, that's where we're at with the possum right now. Appreciate the update. 
Yeah, the animal control person had no fear, by the way. I would have been None. flinching just right down there with a the hand in there. She Those did 20 years in the army, so she was afraid of nothing. She actually said possums are her favorite call because they're very sweet animals. Hmm. Our, dog right. had one, our dog had one trapped under the trampoline the other night, and I was planning my escape route, and all I could figure was I'm just going to have to jump in the pool um, if it comes after me because I know I can't <laughs> in the pool. That is true. You've never seen a possum swim for very long. That's right. I'd have been in trouble if it did. <laughs> all right joy what do you have i'm gonna bring it back to football because i always bring it back to football y'all will go on every rabbit trail or possum trail known to man and i'm the one responsible for bringing it back so i'm gonna bring it back so as a notre dame alum i personally grew up not a big notre dame fan and then in recent years have really caught a lot of flack because i and went to LSU. So now we're, we're, we've become, we just all hate each other for some random reason. Um, <laughs> but I would love to know how you feel about Marcus Freeman and if you feel like he's a solid replacement for Brian Kelly and if you even like Brian Kelly or you, maybe you hate him. I don't know what your opinion on it. And, and you don't have to go too much into detail if you don't want to, but no, some no. thoughts. I, uh, so I played for Brian for three years. Um, I got to Notre Dame under Charlie Weiss. Um, Coach Weiss got fired after my sophomore season. And then after that, I had my, I stayed there for a fifth year. So I had three years with Brian. And between that and the time after, like, I, I am super appreciative of what Brian Kelly did for the school that I love. Like, I grew up a fan of Notre Dame during times where it was not always the easiest. We had some good years at the beginning when Coach Weiss got there, even the beginning of the Willingham era. But in general, for me, it was Bob Davey into Ty Willingham. It was a lot of losing years. And so especially the last five or six years of Brian Kelly's time there were the winningest years of my Notre Dame football lifetime. We were in the college football playoff twice. There were legitimate hopes during all those years, and they maxed out a lot of the talent on that roster with some really good groups. So... Uh, I, I was, I, I kind of, like, I understood. I, I think I was in the minority of Notre Dame fans that looked and said, all right, after that long there, he felt like he couldn't get over the hump and he felt like LSU afforded him a different opportunity to do that. And I didn't really begrudge him that. So I, I understood the move from his perspective. And I, I think Marcus has been great in, in his stead. Now, you know, we got to know him in that last year under Brian, when he was the defensive coordinator and I even remember going back to, I got to cover Marcus when he was the D coordinator at Cincinnati. I called a game there in like 2017 or 2018. And you get to do the meetings with the head coaches and the assistant coaches. And I remember we all walked out of the meeting with Marcus and we're like, oh, that guy's going to be a head coach. Like you, you just, some of the guys, you know, like Liam Cohen, who's at Kentucky now was another one of those guys. As soon as I talked to him, I was like, okay, it, it's not a matter of when or if, it's just a matter of when. But Marcus was the same way, and he, he's come in in such a short amount of time and endeared himself to that area, to the other coaches on campus. You know, there's a lot of new faces, and there's been a lot of turnover amongst some of the more tenured coaching positions on campus. Muffet McGraw retired, Neil Ivey took over. Uh, Mike Shrewsbury took over from Mike Bray on the basketball side. And so with all these new coaches coming in, uh, it sounds like Marcus has been one of the people that's a real galvanizing force for that group. And, and just in general, I, I think has come in and done things his own way. He didn't come in trying to be Brian Kelly. You know, he's 37 years old. He's one of the younger coaches in college football. And we knew for a guy doing that for his first time, it was going to come with some mistakes. But I think in general, I've been really impressed with the job he's done. You know, recruiting was obviously the big sell, but 
uh, I think really diving into Notre Dame and having an appreciation for what makes that place special. All any of us want is for someone to treat the thing that we love with care. And he does that. And I appreciate it. Joy likes him for one reason, one reason only. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? <laughs> hubba, hubba. Yeah, so does everyone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, not just me. And like, let's not throw me under the bus here. And pretend like I'm like that with any college coach or any player. He's literally the only person on the show that I've ever said was attractive in terms of the sports world. So and I, I Freeman, agree with you. He, so yeah, you're not he does get yeah, my, I'm with like, you. I've watched a bunch of Notre <laughs> Dame pretty. games a lot more than I did when Brian Kelly was the coach. That's the <laughs> See, I just, I, and listen, this is no slight to Brian. He's a, you know, normal looking adult man, but I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't prepared to see my coach and my quarterback both having thirst TikToks made of them. <laughs> like I saw that happen for Joe Burrow. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. This is a different portion of the internet than I've occupied. And now seeing both the coach and the quarterback for my team getting that treatment online has definitely been an interesting experience. You didn't see that with Charlie White? Charlie White wasn't like that? Hey, man. TikTok wasn't around. C-Dub's my guy. And and mercifully, yeah, TikTok wasn't around uh, for all of us at that point. Because Lord knows what the rest of us would have been doing on that hell site. <laughs> All right, Mike. So Casey talked about your journey in the sports media world, and I was wondering if there was any point during that journey where you imagined that one day you'd be doing a podcast with your dad and listening to him tell a story about sitting around in a thong eating a tub of chocolate pudding. <laughs> you know what? The amazing part about that was that I hadn't heard that story before. That's what I loved about like... it. Uh, it sounded like you hadn't so no like at this point so i'm 34 years old and i've been doing shows with my dad off and on since 2017 and then i like everyone else i always tell people when they say they grew up listening to mike and mike i'm like yeah me too like that was the only thing that was on in the morning in our house so i grew up just like everybody else except i was the one when you heard the porn bed music playing that had to look up and listen to him talking about my mom in that way at the training room in notre dame around all my friends you can imagine how weird that experience is but no i I think that was more it is most of the stories i've heard which works out great doing content together because i know like hey when we get to a certain subject like i know one of dad's good stories on this and so i can lob him right away you know all the reggie white stories and all those things like that like I got those on ready in the Rolodex. That one caught me off guard. So between that and the butt photo, uh, we're going to have to keep uh, upping my therapist's pay because they got a lot of work to do. That butt photo was great. Uh, it was great for you guys. It wasn't great. You know, know how scarring it is when you walk in the house. And this is not like a joke. None of this is embellished. I walked into my parents' house and on the counter where I used to eat cereal – was a paint roller and a bottle of baby oil. No, no, no. Yeah, no. like that was, I, and, and you, you guys should have seen, so it was in the basement of the house I grew up in, and we went down there to take the picture, and we have now like a 12-year-old pug, his name is Hank, and Hank just like straight up walked into the room, took a look at what was going on, turned around and walked out. He was like, nope, I don't got time for this. Oh, that's great. All right, MBG. All right. So you are on the Message Board Geniuses podcast. So really my question is, is your experience with the message board? Are you a message board guy? I am I am not a message board guy because 
so like coming up, like, you know, I, I so I was recruited um, like 2007, 2008. I got to Notre Dame 2008 to 2012. And so we were pre-social media, which meant it was prime message board time. Like that was the mode of current currency at that point. And the last place you wanted to be as a three-star legacy recruit was on the message boards. I pro- the only thing I remember from message boards was in 2012, um, we played Purdue pretty early in the season. That might been might have been the game coming back from Ireland. And Kwan Short, who was a future, I think, first round pick at D tackle for them, was in that game. It was my second game starting at guard in college. I had had made four starts at center in the year before because Braxton Cave got hurt, and then I came back for my fifth year, and I was the day one starter at right guard. And you know, I like many other people got beat by Kwan Short, which is crazy because like he was. Like he did not approach the line of scrimmage like someone who was as good at football as he was. And so it was a little bit off putting, but I got beat by him in that game. And that next week, like I wasn't on the message boards, but my mom would dabble at time to time, despite the fact that I told her not to go there because you weren't going to see anything you liked. And there was just like a picture of me getting arm overed by Kwan Short <laughs> that someone on the message board had circled with a big red circle and it just said liability above the top of it. <laughs> and I'm like, Christ almighty. Like, mom, why'd you go and do that to yourself? Like, it's because like I like what did I care? Like I was getting I was getting MF'd way harder and coached way harder right. by my coaches on the team than anyone on the message board was going to do for me. But no one thinks about mom when they post on the message right. board. And so <laughs> she made the mistake of wandering into those waters, which meant that I saw that. And that's the only real image I have of message board life burned into my head for that reason. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of my next question was, well, are you guys counseled not to read them? Do you guys talk about them in the locker room? Uh... Um, In college, no. Like, really, like, and again, it was interesting at that point, like once Twitter hit probably my junior year, I'd say more of that came up, but in general, no, we stayed the hell away, the hell away from that by and large. And we weren't counseled to, you just like stop caring. Like so much of, I, I think the message boards culture too, in addition to talking about the new team is a lot of times geared towards recruiting and what's going on there. Right. And once you hit campus, like when you're a recruit, you care about all that all the time because you're so interested. Who else is going to be joining in my class? You know, who else are we trying to, you know, text and see if they want to come there and do all that stuff too. Once you hit campus, you stop caring about recruiting altogether. You're like, I, I, I got enough to worry about here. I got my own stuff to worry about. And so that kind of curbs some of the message board viewing on its own. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to read through some. Uh, get your reaction to some of these. Uh, we always start, when we do this, we always start with what we think is the best meltdown of the week. Mm. And the, the longer you go in the season, the more justified some of the meltdowns become. You know, if you're one in five, it's probably justified if you're melting down on the message boards. Um, but this week I picked the Tennessee board, and we've been there before, but Tennessee boards melt down like no one else. <laughs> it really was either USC or Tennessee. Um, and I picked, <laughs> and we've done both of them before this year because they both melted down pretty uh, substantially this year already. But so we, I picked Tennessee, and I don't know if you watched that Tennessee Alabama game. I'm sure you you did at least a little bit. But uh, Tennessee jumped out pretty big. They were up 27 at halftime, I think, and then that slow that lead just slowly dissipated, and you can kind of see the fans' reactions as that lead as that lead started to dissipate. In fact, they got down four, and they're already starting to say, this guy says, 
when you play Bama, it's almost like you're watching the WWE with the officiating and Gary Danielson, which I don't know what Gary Danielson has to do with it. <laughs> and then Yankee Sankey's in the locker room to the refs. Uh, must have given them the Bud Kilmer speech. They fall down seven. Uh, guys are saying this is the most blatantly fixed game that I've ever watched. This is That's 30-plus years of football. Next guy says the SEC office being in Alabama is inexcusable in this day and age. They go down 14. It gets a little worse. Corrupt officiating is the story. Sankey, I hope that Bama money that lines your bed feels good. And then this guy, <laughs> this guy is giving out the SEC's email address already. The game's not even over. They're down 14, and this guy's giving all his buddies the email address for the SEC to apparently email and complain about the officiating. Game's over. They lose. It was ridiculous, blatant cheating. <laughs> then they're back on the, we need to bombard the SEC office Monday morning. Uh, no shot that ever happens uh, because he's Sankey is Saban's guy. If anything, we need we need to move the league's uh, headquarters to Charlotte. Then it starts to get good. Uh, this guy says that Danny White uh, needs to either make the SEC be accountable or else they need to just change conferences um, if they're not going to fix the <laughs> situation. And then the best part, and I don't know if you saw this, but they got the the name of the head officials for that game. His name was Ken Williamson, which seems to be a fairly common name. Someone Googles the name and finds that there's a real estate agent in Tuscaloosa named Ken Williamson. (laughs) So they assume that this must be the ref. So they spread his information all over the message board um, and apparently are sending him dirty messages because there's a Facebook post from from a gal in Tuscaloosa that then says, so my dad gets angry, angry calls messages every year during football season because people think he is Ken Williamson, the college football referee. I guess they Google him and find his contact info. My dad gets a chuckle out of it, but this year I've had enough of sore loser Tennessee fans spreading false information on social media and everywhere else. Sorry your team lost, guys, but how can a football referee who resides in Tampa, Florida, also live in Tuscaloosa? Anyway, she goes on to kind of trash uh, the Tennessee fans. So your thoughts on the meltdown? Um, <laughs> it's a good reminder of why I just completely banned myself from the internet during Notre Dame games now. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm glad everyone feels safe enough uh, in that space to share. I would say the ones I actually enjoy, um, the emailing the league office, because that seems like a happy medium, like, Contacting an actual person and harassing them, bad, bunk. Don't don't do that. Don't actually contact people and do stuff like that. Bad. But the league office, where it's a little bit more of like an amorphous blob, is that like the message board version of write your congressman when you've got something bad go on? It's like, all right, we've gotta we gotta try and make change, and it starts with us. And you start a change.org petition. I, that feels like the direction we were going with that one. It's like sternly worded letter to some your local yes. Applebee's because you know your steak <laughs> came out medium well instead of well well done. Old Miss fans had started a, writing a certified letter campaign to the SEC last year, so they were kind of above and beyond the email where they were doing certified letters. They wanted that green receipt back from the post office that uh, <laughs> the SEC had actually signed and received the letter. My God. Um, I mean, they're not yeah. doing too shabby this year. So maybe someone read their letters. Maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. I mean, they didn't beat Alabama. But... I want to be the guy that's receiving these emails 
That, that's all I want. I just want to see how many they get and what they say. I, I'm sure they're not I, unhinged at all, right? I I hope they I hope they don't actually read them when they see them coming in. Like, <laughs> well, that's why we've, yeah, we've all been on the like internet me. enough to know, like, hey, you just sometimes got to leave your mentions alone and not go in there. Hopefully, they don't read the email. No person should have to suffer through that. <laughs> is it the overall perception though that Alabama gets favorable treatment, or is it just that they're good and that's the only thing that people can come up with? I think it's just that they're good. Like, I and. And this is like player brain in me where I always look at the situation and I'm like, oh, well, we lost. You know, sometimes you'll complain about officiating. That's sort of a normal human thing. But as it ventures into the rest of that, at some point, I'm just like, oh, we didn't play good enough. We didn't do the thing better. And uh, as I've realized now, and this is the thing for me is I grew up a fan. I then became a player. And when I left, I thought, surely I will leave these things behind because I had a chance to impact this and I know what it's like on the inside. And I know, Nope. Went right back to being a dumbass <laughs> fan where now my brain just concocts the most insane stuff during games. And again, that's why you need a friend that you can text all this stuff to who's wired the same as you and who won't judge you for the things you say and will keep you from putting these things on God's internet. That's the biggest part, right? Like I've got a text chain of 11 of my buddies from undergrad and we get all those thoughts out in a private space so they, so we don't put them anywhere else. It's exactly right. Hide your crazy. The funny thing is, do you guys remember the Bama-Tennessee game last year? So, you know, Tennessee won by yeah. three. And, you know, I think they made a commemorative book about it and everything. In that game, Alabama had 17 penalties for 130 yards, and Tennessee had six penalties for 39 yards. But I didn't see that get brought up, surprisingly, you know, after this. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it would be podcast malpractice if we didn't uh, talk about Michigan this week. I mean, it seems like uh, that's, the, that's the story to talk about. So I think it was Thursday last week this story about uh, Michigan and their potential sign ceiling scandal broke, but I don't know. I don't know, Mike, if you know this, but before it broke about three hours before it broke, there was a poster on the Ohio state message board who said that it was going to happen before any news broke by family or anybody. um, There was a guy named the Carolina kid who said it was going to happen. So this, at least for me, the news was broken on, uh, message boards, which I didn't know if this was legit or not. And then all of a sudden it turned out it was legit. So Michigan fans, this was their immediate reaction to this. Um, And this was just a few days ago. And I know some stuff has happened since then, but they say, this is what it must feel like being on the top of the CFB mountain. Everyone coming for you can't beat Michigan on the field. So they have to try to tear us down off the field. They hate us because they ain't us. And then another guy says, seems like the NCAA really wants Jim to not sign that extension and go back to the NFL. We get word that the contract is about to be signed and announced in the next week or so. And then all of a sudden, another investigation by the NCAA. What a coincidence. And then another guy says, it never happens to any SEC team. It is Harbaugh that scares the hell out of the NCAA. Harbaugh intimidates the NCAA wimpy boys. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why wimpy, wimpy boys is just the best. Oh, why it's some it's the simplest insult. It's like when you call someone a dork. It just hits so perfectly. Wimpy boy. Oh. Do you think the NCAA is just trying to get rid of Harbaugh because they're sick of him? And no. Do you really- 
you know, is how big of a how big of a deal do you think this is? So I think in general, science. Like when I first heard the headline of sign stealing scandal, I thought, all right, probably a little bit overblown because like there's a reason we've got people with towels on the sidelines trying to block that stuff. And a reason why you've got three guys signaling and only one guy's live, or you got those big dumb cardboard cutouts that have different drawings on it. where only one quadrants, actually the play that's because people know everyone's trying to steal plays because <laughs> trying to steal signals is like the oldest thing in sports, no matter what sport, whether it's baseball or otherwise. But the thing I did begrudge was, all right, if there's a video element to this, that's kind of where it crosses the line. It's kind of where it crossed the line in Major League Baseball. And it sounds like that might be where it crosses the line here. My whole thing with this has been, because we've got, um, what's the, is it, uh, Connor Stallions, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Connor Stallion. Which, I'm just amazed that that's not a fake name. That's what I was just going to say. It doesn't <laughs> like, sound like a real name. And like, Ron the Mexico. fact yeah, like this should have all been done from burner phones under a Ron Mexico name. The fact that this was someone's government ba- name being used and that it was this easy for everybody to track this down, like, I it, I don't know. You got to be better at cheating if you're going to try and do this stuff. Because again, everybody's trying to do some version of picking signs. Some people are better at it than others. But what you can't do is leave an obvious paper trail when you are the good team. And when people are going to be more inclined to try and rat you out because they are pissed that you're beating them on the field. So you got to just, you know, cover your tracks a little bit better with this stuff. Because, again, I'm willing to kind of party with this because it's not – we've seen actual bad in college football. We've got plenty of actual impropriety going on in ways that hurt people. This I look at and go – all right, like, yeah, it's it's against the rules, obviously, if it comes out that they've been doing that. The NCAA is going to punish them. We still have the punishment for the dumb cheeseburger thing hanging <laughs> over his head, which that's ridiculous. But, you know, again, you're only going to get me so fired up about this because, yeah, while I understand science stealing can affect some parts of the game in critical moments, overall... You should be changing your signs with decent regularity if you're any team worth their salt, especially if this has been rumored about this Michigan team in particular, where, hey, probably going to want to invest some extra time in changing the signs up going into Michigan week. Just a little bit of free advice for everybody. Or huddle that week, like we saw Ohio State doing the CFP against Clemson when people thought Brent Venables was hawking signs from the sideline. Or, God forbid, college football just put the radio in these dudes' helmets so we can avoid 90% of this all together. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's gotten further down the road than I expected for something that overall never was going to get me that bothered to begin with. I stole signs in the 2008 Southeast Regional Little League World Series between oh, Alabama yeah. and Florida, <laughs> and the Alabama coach wouldn't take my hints. That's a true story. <laughs> He wouldn't do it. I said, I have them. I know what pitches are coming. He wouldn't take it. Wow. Yeah. Like, was that like a moral thing, or did he not want to get in the players' heads in case your sign reads were wrong? Uh, he, well, that it, it could have been wrong. I could have been wrong on a couple. Because <laughs> that's the thing you hear from some coaches is they'd rather not know because then if you get them wrong and you're really wrong, all of a sudden you're getting gashed because you gambled on that. But I do like the idea that he was like that kid in that one PSA commercial where he's like, Coach, <laughs> I stepped on the line. 
You got to tell the official <laughs> that nerd. Dork. I feel like Casey's bravado went away instantaneously. Are you, are you sure they're right? No. <laughs> they were pretty simplistic in in my defense. They were it was like nose ear, you know, with fastball nose nose was a spinner. Like anyway. that you still remember him. Uh, I, yeah, I forget what it was. I had a a minor league player. It was down in Tampa, so I had a minor league player with me. He actually stole the signs. If I'm being really honest here. That's- the Stugats is strong in you. <laughs> That's the best compliment I've ever heard. Oh, I was getting ready to say, he just made his day. Well, speaking of the moral high ground, let's talk about you freeze for a minute. There's, there's a post That's on the a transition. Auburn, there's a post on the Auburn board. I think he's gotten mixed reviews at Auburn so far. There's some people who didn't really want him in the first place and some people who really wanted him. And this, this post I thought was funny. It says, Coach Hugh Freeze's strategy. I think I know what he's doing. Back on NCAA 14, I enjoyed rebuilding the worst teams on the game. In order to have chances to win, I ran a bunch and chewed clock to shorten the game. My main focus was on recruiting and getting the first season over with it with as soon as possible inside split zone till i die coach freeze is right on schedule is coach freeze right on the ncaa 14 schedule i tell you what i appreciate someone who approached coaching with that much of a strategy for ncaa 14 (laughs) i was what way better at first person shooters than i ever was at football games and so i am i am just in awe of what this coach was able to put together Personally, more of an outside zone guy. That's God's play for me. But inside zone, you can get a lot accomplished with that. You can account for a lot of situations. So, yeah, right on time there. Congrats to Coach Freeze for uh, matching the football intellect of uh, this guy. But by the also didn't know CHF did not realize that was the abbreviation for Coach U Freeze. So I that's the message board. That's the message board abbreviations. It's C and then the initials of whatever coach, which sometimes gets a little gets a little hairy depending on what their initials are. Yeah, I'll let you do the work math well on that Tony one. Elliott, by the way. CTE is not a great nickname for your coach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, there's a big thing on UVA Twitter about, yeah, we need to stop using that because it's just not a good look. So I'm glad they came together to try and make something happen there. That's, exactly. a, that's, a, level, that's a level of self-awareness issue. I appreciate. <laughs> that's right. Only at Virginia. Yeah. Uh, but I'm surprised he did the inside split zone and not the four verts. I thought four verts was like the go-to play on NCAA 14. Well, it is, but I think to his point, if you're trying to shorten the game and your oh. goal is really just what you're doing off the field, four verts going to stop the clock a lot. That's a little bit more boomer bust. You're going to put yourself in some compromise situation. Split zone, at three <laughs> yards in a cloud of dust territory. We're going to be in business with that. We can work with that. That's awesome. Fair point. That's why you just hit that drag route on the four verts. It's the same as. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking scheme of NCAA fourteen. That's as hey, good. That's just, as... We're just getting prepared for when the game comes back next summer. You got to start That's to right. flex those muscles again. The atrophy. You still getting serious. checks for that for the, the twenty twelve version? No, I think I got. I think I got that all at once. I think it was a lump sum. It was a little more than I expected. Like it was a couple grand. I was fired up about that. Well, that's awesome. awesome. All right, well, we're going to close it out with the funniest post that that I've had in a while. Um, and I don't know if you read it, but this is from a Texas A and M fan. And I I don't know how well you know Texas A and M fans, Mike, but they're an interesting bunch sometimes. Um, and they're in an interesting situation. So. Oh. They were, 
they had a bye this week, but this came after uh, their loss to Tennessee uh, the week before, and they're trying to justify it. And so this guy, John Doerr, 7890, says this. He said, that was a very difficult loss for the Aggies. Not many people know this, but Texas A&M has hired a new nutrition coach, and they utilize grains much more than protein. The theory is that by eating more grains, that players will have more stamina. The problem is what they are ingesting causes gas, and it's not typical everyday gas. This is chronic, and it leads to a lot of problems, including fatigue. Several folks with inside knowledge of the program have told me that this is a real problem, and the players have complained about it. It is an intense intestinal issue, and that type of gas is not normal. When you have players passing gas literally every play, that is a problem. I think you could tell in the fourth quarter that the Aggies were struggling. The training table and nutrition is vital to any team's success. Are you buying this theory? A little too gassy, maybe? I want to believe it so badly, <laughs> but if you were if you were a player realistically and you were farting every play, <laughs> you'd poop at some point. <laughs> like with the amount of clenching you got to do within the body of the game, you would be soiling your pants. And there's enough people wearing pants that would show that kind of color that I can't believe it for that reason. What I can tell you is, as someone who was once the victim of a high protein diet. <laughs> College athletes farting in a way that feels unhealthy, very par for the course. Like, my junior year, me and my roommates that all lived together were all guys in the team, and we would come back after morning off-season workouts, the ones where you're really getting after it, you're, you know, you're trying to add muscle mass, it's, you know, the, the off-season programs everyone talks about. And we would come back, and we would call it the All-American Breakfast, where we're just cooking up a whole mess of bacon and eggs, and a bunch of us are trying to gain weight, so we're having protein shakes with heavy whipping cream. And our apartment, or our condo, just smelled like a sulfur mine. It was the most foul. Like, I had buddies whose girlfriends just would not stay with us <laughs> during that time period because it smelled that bad. So college athletes fart in a whole bunch. Uh, more common problem than you would you would imagine. But during the game... I mean, I've definitely farted during games before. I don't know if it was every play, but I've definitely farted a bunch during it, which is a lot more of a problem when you're the center, too. I always felt a little bad about that. <laughs> Those prima donna quarterbacks, though. I mean, they can handle it a little bit. Yeah, Top every once down. in a while. You got you to do it to keep them honest because sometimes they'll go under center with a little bit too much gusto. Like they got, they got to let you know where they are when they get up under center. And so every once in a while, you hit with a little bit too much force there and Takes your breath away for a second. You got to go hunched over during quarterback center exchange. So the fart's a little bit of revenge. <laughs> I think that's what they call all gas, no breaks. There is, there is a hey. lot of that. I don't know if, uh, if y'all saw this, but in the midst of like 300 comments, this, this post did like what, 2 million impressions or something in BG, but in the midst of like 200 all gas, no breaks, or, you know, they ran gassers or whatever. There is this one confessional from this guy, uh, Bama Random, who just said, I too mourn the unfulfilled personal dreams I've had due to excessive flatulence. And it was like, <laughs> he had this moment of clarity in the midst of all this nonsense going on. So I appreciated that. That that, it, that does beg the question. Like, obviously, having to fart every play during a football game seems like a bad time. But what would be the worst place to be farting most frequently during like what setting would that actually be the worst in church would be tough like if you're 
Yeah, or I was like thinking like a juror in a courtroom. Ooh. Ooh, if you if you're a lawyer trying to argue for someone that's on trial for something serious and you can't stop audibly farting, that'd be tough. Or even okay. the defendant is just farting. Well, you know, his lawyer is <laughs> that would be incredible. I guess to that point too, like being a surgeon. That is <laughs> It, it's hard to inspire confidence in your patients probably right well, i just like the thought of having open heart surgery performed on me with that much fecal matter in the room doesn't seem cool yeah that probably takes it i would say are we just not going to talk about the links that AM fans will go to justify how bad their program is? Like, are we just not acknowledging it? Or are we just going to pretend like it's not? Like, I just want to, I just want to clarify. I'm surprised they blame their problem. Well, actually, I shouldn't be surprised that they blame their problems on natural gas and not oil, but. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> on that note, we appreciate you joining us, Mike. It's been fun. Hey, before Thanks, we guys. let you go, though, tell everybody where we can find you. Uh, yeah, uh, at Mike Golick Jr. on Twitter, Instagram, but against my better judgment, TikTok. That's been more of a time suck for me scrolling the timeline than it has been me mm. making meaningful content consistently on there but it might happen eventually um and then at gojo and golik on all those same platforms that one actually does pump out decent content uh we are monday through friday five days a week 8 to 10 a.m eastern as a podcast we are live uh at that time too on DraftKings youtube channel DraftKingsNetwork.com, samsung tv plus i think roku now and a couple of those other streaming services that a lot more people have in their homes and so uh yeah, check us out there. Support the cause. We're uh, we're trying to make something fun for everybody, for all the people that I see all the time that come up to me and they're like, oh man, I really miss your dad on radio. Well, it's not radio, but we got him back talking places. So you can hear him there and uh, I'll uh, I'll step on his words every once in a while too. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Really Excellent. appreciate Thanks, you. Mike. Thank you so much, Thank man. You. We really appreciate it. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode, the MBG Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can check out more content at messageboardgeniuses.com. And we'll see you next time, losers. Uh-huh.